the wrong side of the red line, Dallas Stars Podcast. Here is your host, Sean Shapiro. Well, I'm joined by uh, Jeremy Rutherford, who covers the St. Louis Blues for The Athletic now, and has covered the Blues for, I think Scott Burnside said earlier, a thousand years. <laughs> a thousand years. <laughs> so, um, Jeremy, the, the Blues are in town. It's the, we're kind of near the, there's still a couple games to go before a quote-unquote midpoint, and teams have reached 41, but teams are in that 35, 36 mm-hmm. games range, and the I wanted to start with the Central Division. It's just been kind of every team is almost every team has a chance still to to climb and be a playoff team. Um, just start off with your assessment. What have you kind of gotten from this division as it's kind of evolved over the first 35, 36 games as we've looked at? Yeah, I think a couple things. I think uh, going into the year, you felt that the the big teams were going to be uh, near the top, and when I say the big teams, uh, you felt like uh, Chicago, Minnesota. St. Louis, the teams that have been there the past couple years. Uh, and then you saw what Dallas did, and holy smokes, it just seemed like every other day they were adding a big name. And, you know, after you get Ken Hitchcock, now all of a sudden you get uh, Ben Bishop and, uh, and Radulov and, and Thought, and the list goes on and on. And you thought, uh, wow, after you give them, the Dallas Stars, a few weeks, a month to put things together, because you can't just throw, you know, all those new players on the ice at one point time and then think uh, things are going to happen right away. So I, I felt like Dallas was going to be really strong. I, I didn't expect uh, Winnipeg to play the way they have, and I don't know that, that many did just because uh, you didn't see it, but Connor Hellebuck has been terrific in that. So they're finally getting the goaltending. I've always liked their team in, in front of them. Uh, so now they're way up there. And uh, let's talk about Nashville. I mean, they are, I think, you know, the team in the division. And that goes back to uh, last season. I mean, that was quite a run they put together. And so uh, you felt like if if um, they stayed healthy, which they've had the injury to, to Ryan Ellis, but seemed to have overcome that, um, that they would be right there at the top again. And then you had that kind of second tier with uh, St. Louis and Minnesota and Chicago. And, uh, and, and Chicago, I don't think they've played up to expectations. They did lose a couple names, you know, in the offseason, and people thought that would affect them. But I felt, hey, you know, they're still going to be Chicago. So to me, uh, I don't think you can look at the standings after 36, 37, 38 games some of these teams have played and say that it looks exactly like you, you thought that it would look. Uh, but I think uh, it, it looks pretty uh, familiar. And I think Nashville's was that perfect example last year. Everyone talks about you just got to get in. And once again, Nashville is that example last year where they were the true eight seed. For And I know we don't have the one through eight anymore with the wild card system, but obviously they were the example that you just have to be playing right at the right time. And I think all those teams, you could make a case for any of them that they could be playing the right way come April or May or even deeper than that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you could. Uh, Nashville, look, I, I really like their team. Mm-hmm. So I, I know that... You know, sometimes you talk about teams like the uh, the Kings of a few years back where they get the eighth seed and they win the Stanley Cup. Uh, you know, maybe they got hot at the right time. You know, with Nashville, that definitely happened last year, but I don't think it's a matter of them getting on a good streak. I think it's a matter of they finally put it together and now they're able to play the way that they want to play. Look, the Blues saw them in the second round last year, and, uh, Sean, their defense is just phenomenal with Ryan Ellis in there, of course. Uh, but the way they can bring it from the blue line, uh, not just uh, get their defense involved, but uh, the shots from the point with, with Subban, with Ellis last year in the playoffs, I remember, uh, they do a terrific job. So their top four, you include Yossi in there, obviously. Um, they're terrific. So, uh, you know, this year, 
they've had a little bit of change trying to play without Ellis, uh, bringing in Kyle Turris. But I think they're as deep as any team in the National Hockey League uh, up the middle. And that's one thing, that's one area where the Blues have tried to improve themselves over the past couple of years. And it's hard. I mean, you can't just go out and, you know, make a number one center. Mm -hmm. And uh, they've been able to bring in a couple of them now with uh, Johansson and Turris. So uh, I really like what they've done. But, um, you know, it, it, with me, it's not a matter of Nashville getting hot. Nashville, to me, David Poyle has built a, a terrific team, and Laviolette's done a great job coaching. For Nashville, I think I look at them as the, if I was to build a team, and I think it's something that Dallas could grow into, they have the model on defense that you want in kind of today's NHL without their guys who move the puck, and you, so much of defending is built on keeping the puck away from the other team. And I look at Dallas as a model where they, they're not there yet just because of the young core, but with the John Klingbergs, the Julius Honkas of the world, they intentionally drafted a very highly uh, touted defenseman, Miro Hishkinen, last year. Who could I see Dallas as some team that, if you give them some time, they could kind of grow into what Nashville's become. But obviously Nashville may be that gold standard right now for defensemen of you've got four guys who are can all play 25 minutes a night and even that third pairing isn't I mean they had the luxury to be able to trade an asset away obviously in the uh, in the uh, tourist trade while yeah. Ryan Ellis was still hurt right and don't forget they traded Seth Jones yes. <laughs> to be able to get Johansson so mm -hmm. they've traded a couple big uh, pieces uh, on defense obviously one who was established a high pick in Jones and then and then uh, in the tourist trade it, it was a prospect but yeah no they have set the standard I, I, I've had conversations with Mike Yo and Doug Armstrong after the Blues lost lost to Nashville in the playoffs last year, you know, I think that it was uh, a priority of the Blues to put more emphasis on activating the defensemen. And I know that's something that Mike Yo wanted to do, but uh, Sean and St. Louis, the Blues defense combined for 21 goals in the first 21 games of the season. It, there was a defenseman scoring, it seemed like, every other night. And uh, Alex Petrangelo got off to a hot start, played really well. They, they got some goals from Joel Edmondson, uh, Carl Gunnarsson. Typically, those aren't guys that are going to score a lot. But, uh, you know, they were taking advantage of the way that the Blues are playing. So I agree with you. I think Dallas does have that type of personnel. And I think uh, they can play that way. Now, with Ken Hitchcock, you know, um, how much is he tweaking things in the back end? trying to get those guys involved you know I watched him in St. Louis and uh, you know he does evolve as a coach he does move forward with the times he does try to you know tweak the system to uh, to do that but what we've seen in St. Louis is you go from Ken Hitchcock to Mike Yo, and now all of a sudden the defensemen are really heavily involved and it's hard to decipher how much of that was mm -hmm. Ken Hitchcock holding them back and playing that defensive style you know I you know, had a ton of conversations with Ken Hitchcock about this. I, I, I know that he wants the defensemen involved. So if you have that type of personnel, I think he's willing to play that mm -hmm. that game. And and uh, I, I think with the names that you mentioned, um, I'm, I'm sure he's trying to implement that as they go. Before we start recording, we talked mentioned Hitch, where it's something where he does he is able to evolve, but he's still at the, his core. He's still Hitch. What is what has it been like? You covered him for what was five seasons, six seasons yeah, in six St. Seasons, Louis. Yeah. What was it like to kind of see 
that both evolution and him stay. I mean, it's an interesting juggling act just to watch. Yeah, and as we both know, <laughs> uh, with Ken Hitchcock, he is who he is, and 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 that's a good thing. That's yeah. a compliment because look who he is. He's he has 800 victories under his belt. He's uh, third all time in wins in, in the National Hockey League. At one point, I was keeping track of a stat. I think he's. Uh, got 125 victories with three different franchises and uh, you know who knows how long he stays here in in Dallas but uh, could he get to 125 with four franchises that'd be uh, well, he already has the 125 with Dallas from the first Oh, from station. the first time. Yes. I apologize. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, I apologize. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So so he already yeah. has the 125, yeah. so he's adding yeah. to yeah. that. You know yeah. what? He moves around so much, <laughs> I, I lost track of that. So, yeah. uh, But let me say this yeah. uh, about uh, him. He, he, he does evolve with the times from a strategic standpoint, I think. I mean, he, he'll tell you all the seminars that he goes to, and, you know, he stays in touch with a lot of coaches. And, and he's one that points out that a lot of things start – in junior hockey before you even see them in the NHL. You know, a lot of the concepts, uh, you know, swarm defense, uh, things like that. And and so Ken Hitchcock, I, I think that's – how else could he still be here in 2017 coaching in the mm-hmm. NHL if he didn't adjust with the time? So I mm-hmm. think that proves, um, mm-hmm. you know, that, that he's been able to do that. But, as, as we said, he is who he is. And, and I think that you're, you're not going to change that. I think that he has his core beliefs of what wins hockey games, and that's a defensive first mentality. That's protect the net. And uh, and I think once you can get that established, then I think maybe you can, uh, you know, branch off and, and, and do some more things. Look, this defensive uh, group in Dallas has struggled for a number of years, and probably because they didn't have the personnel mm-hmm. uh, or the goaltending. But now they've been able to uh, bring in, I think, a bona fide goaltender in, in Ken Hitchcock and I'm sorry, and uh, Ben Bishop, and uh, and then put that defensive style coaching in there with Ken Hitchcock, and then bring in um, you know some some different guys who haven't been here the past few years. I I think I think the ingredients are there. Now it's just going to take some time. It took some time in, in St. Louis uh, for Ken Hitchcock to be able to do that. For me, it was interesting today because I talked to Colton Pareko, who obviously came in and, and started his career under under Hitch. And um, yesterday we had talked to uh, he talked about how coaching a younger generation and talking to use the word millennials a lot and how he has to explain why and everything like that and so I actually asked Colton Pareko about that and it was interesting to hear from a perspective from a player who'd already gone through it because we're still seeing the Dallas players now are still adjusting to it as we said they're this is their 38th game tonight so they're still adjusting to it but it was interesting to talk to Pareko about how that actually worked for him where he would he would he was told this is you're going to do this and this is why you're going to do this and it was interesting to hear that from a player about how it did work for him and obviously we've seen Pareko's success as he's kind of stepped up and grown in his career there. Yeah, no, it, 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 it is. Uh, you know, Ken Hitchcock, a number of times in his time in St. Louis, he, you know, he talked about the millennial generation, Sean, and he talked about the entitlement generation. Sometimes he'd jokingly say that, you know, they feel like a lot of things need to be given to them. They've uh, led this life where they were likely on a path for a career in the NHL, and, uh, you know, they feel like they deserve – to be here. So when you get them in the locker room or on the ice and you try to tell them what you want them to do, which he's been doing for years mm-hmm. and years and years, you know, players before used to not question it. They just go out and, and do whatever he said. Well, now they want to know why. And also, you have to add into it this factor, I think. I'm working on a big story about uh, how video has kind of changed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I got four straight St. Louis Blues video coaches taking you from 1990s uh, to 2017, and you're talking about going from VCRs to iPads on the bench. And I bring this up, Sean, because, I mean, now they have the iPads on the bench, and the defensive coaches 
during the game are showing a player, hey, your gap needs to be tighter in this situation. You're, we're talking about you know high intensity uh, situation, and, uh, and and they're showing these players why. But I think the players want that. They need that. Um, and I think this these coaching staffs today have a bigger onus on them to explain themselves. It's not just you know like it was 15, 20 years ago where you uh, you kind of stood there and, and based on your reputation as a coach in the NHL, you could get their attention. I think you really have to, to prove it to them and, and give them reasons and examples. And not only that, but they have to go out there and execute it and see that it works for them to believe it. It's, it's, uh, these are different times. How much have you noticed with the Blues? We kind of touched on it slightly, but just how much have you noticed they've been different with with Mike Yo? Just what have you kind of noticed? As, as obviously, we've only this will be the first time we've seen them in Dallas. They played two games in St. Louis earlier this year. But what have you noticed is different about them um, as as they've made that transition? Yeah, you know, I'm not going to make any bones here. I think that uh, it's a situation where Ken Hitchcock was in St. Louis for six years. They had a ton of success. He deserved their respect. Um, but I think it did get to a point where uh, probably change was best. Uh, you know, it, it was a different voice. We can use all the cliches that we want, but mm -hmm. I, I think that's the situation that evolved in, in St. Louis. And so I think that if uh, Mike Yo had been anybody, a different voice was welcome inside that locker room. Um, but uh, good for the Blues that Mike Yo, not only was he a different voice, but he was a good voice. He came in, and, and I think that he created some excitement. I, I think that uh, players respected him, not just for the, the time he put in in Minnesota five years, um, but uh, he came in with some system changes that they thought could be beneficial, and one of them we touched on earlier yeah. was uh, mm -hmm. you know activating the D. Mm -hmm. And uh, Mike Yo, like a lot of coaches and probably yeah. Ken Hitchcock as well, he believes it has to be a five-man unit. You can't go in there with the three forwards and just think you're going to score goals uh, today in hockey. And You watch the St. Louis Blues team, and uh, it is phenomenal how you'll see one, sometimes two defensemen down low involved in the play uh, with uh, the forwards up top. And uh, they've had a lot of success that way. I think uh, you're predictable to each other, but you're not uh, predictable to the opponent. Mm -hmm. And uh, so they're trying to come at you with you know, different ways. So that has tailed off. We haven't seen the same type of production from the Blues defense in the last stretch mm -hmm. of games, so I know they're trying to, to regain that. Um, but I think with Mike Yo, um, he, he brought a different voice. He brought a little bit of different structure. And uh, I think, to be honest with you, he brought a, a younger person into the Blues locker room, and I think when you're talking about a, a group that's got a Colton Pareko and mm -hmm. you know uh, that has now a uh, Tage Thompson and a lot of younger players, I think not that Ken Hitchcock can't relate to those guys, but I think Mike Yo does a, a pretty good job. That you've got it's a good segue right there. You talked about the Tage Thompson. Right now they have a Clem Costin just playing for Russia, and uh, this team has done. The Blues have done a good job of building for the long term through the draft. Obviously, the GM just got, I believe, it was a five year extension. Yeah, or, four year plus an option. So, right? when you look at just kind of how they've built for the long term for this team, what do you kind of see with this group? Like just because there's obviously some good young talent already on the NHL roster, and some that, as we mentioned, Costin who was playing well in San Antonio, I believe, yeah. in now with Russia and the World Juniors. Yeah, you know, um, just to uh, set the table for to answer that question, is Doug Armstrong, who just got the four-year uh, extension, uh, has done a terrific job of keeping the Blues competitive 
while he changed out the court. I mean, if you think a few years back, we're talking about T.J. Oshie, David Backus, so on and so forth. Hey, those guys weren't 36-37 where you were eventually weeding them out, and that's why the team has changed hands. What Doug Armstrong did is he said, okay, well, we're not going to give David Backus that fifth year. Uh, we're not going to sign Troy Brower to four years. You know, We're, we're going to trade T.J. Oshie for Troy Brower because that's going to free up salary in a year to re-sign Jaden Schwartz and Vladimir Tarasenko. So they were able to change on the fly. Well, the only way that they were able to do that is because they had drafted well with guys like Colton Pareko and uh, and some of the younger guys that are in this lineup right now. So I, I think that, you know, give him credit for being able to, uh, to kind of, uh, you know, replace guys mm-hmm. on the roster. Those are big decisions not to bring back some of those guys. And, and, and so now you get into a situation where you have a lot of uh, young prospects coming up with a Clem Coston, with a Robert Thomas, who was a first-round draft pick. Tage Thompson, he'll be in the lineup, you know, against the Dallas Stars. Uh, these are these are good players. I, I think you have to give credit to the Blues uh, scouting staff and, and Doug Armstrong and his group to make those decisions that we just discussed, mm-hmm. but have confidence in these young players to be able to come up and, and play. I'm, I'm always impressed with what they've done in the past couple years with those first-round picks. And obviously a first-round pick is, in theory, supposed to have success. Everyone has those guys kind of in the room. But they've done a really good job of grabbing those guys late in the first round, I believe. Just you look at turning uh, the Ryan Reeves trade to get Clem Costum, which I believe was the 31st pick of the draft, and um, Thompson, who I think was in the 20s, if I remember correctly. Um, I wanted to touch on Thompson indirectly just because he's a guy who we're going to see in the lineup tonight and a guy who I remember um, hearing about him from a couple college coaches at when he played at UConn. And I remember he was always a guy who was very good on the power play in college. He was always a guy who was, had a big impact there. What about his overall game have you seen that allows him to kind of fit with this Blues team? Yeah, no, he, uh, he, he was in camp and uh, looked pretty good. Uh, I thought they were going to give Sammy Blay the – the nod over Tage Thompson. Uh, they kept Tage, and uh, he played pretty well. However, they had him in a third, sometimes fourth-line role. And, you know, he's a – not only is he likely a center in the future, but they have him on right wing right now. Um, so he was playing – I don't want to say out of position because he can play both, uh, but he's definitely a top-six guy. And they had him, as you know, you know, they bring up these prospects, they play him in the bottom six. Uh, so – after a few games, it kind of started to wear off. He went to the minors, and I think he found himself in how he wanted to play. He's getting good minutes down in San Antonio. And so uh, he comes back, and the thing I like about Tage Thompson is, you know, not only does he have a, a lot of skill, but uh, he protects protects the puck well, and uh, I think he can get it off quick. He's got a great shot. Um, the one thing I'll tell you about Tage Thompson is, he wasn't 6'6 his whole life, obviously, but I, in, in talking to him about growing up, he said, look, I was a little guy who developed skill, mm-hmm. and uh, then all of a sudden I sprouted up, and I grew, and I had this skill to, you know, to begin with. So I, it's not you know, too often where you see a 6'6 guy with the hands that a Tage Thompson does, but, but he really does. So he's obviously now he's got that long reach, he's got the big body, he can protect the puck. He's looked really good since he's been called up this last time. It's like that basketball center that had a growth spurt yeah. and had to play point guard as a kid, or for an analogy. I um, wanted to touch on, kind of figure, get an idea of how it's worked, because the Blues are in a weird situation developing guys this year just because they don't have an affiliate right. officially this year. They have they will be with uh, San Antonio formally 
next year, but this year Colorado is technically the Philip San Antonio, Vegas is technically Chicago. How's that worked with having guys in multiple spots, and what's that juggling act <laughs> been like? Yeah, no, it's been different. I'm sure it's been different for the organization too. And you know, not to go too in depth here for your listeners, yeah. but basically, you know, once Vegas came in, there were 31 NHL teams, and there's only 30, uh, you know, AHL teams. And and the Blues had a situation in Chicago that really wasn't conducive for them. They, you know, the Chicago Wolves are independently owned, and uh, the Blues wanted to have a big say in matters so they were looking to get out and and uh, Vegas uh, locked horns with Chicago so mm-hmm. now you have the Golden Knights and and they have that affiliate uh, the Blues old affiliate and so the Blues were kind of the the team without a chair to sit yeah. down in and <laughs> yeah. you know musical chairs and and so anyway uh, they have now uh, the AHL is going to expand and and the Blues are going to uh, connect with uh, San Antonio. But it has been different. You know, whenever you hear about a Blues prospect being sent down, you have to read the press release closely to see where they're going. <laughs> were they going to mm-hmm. San Antonio? Or, you know, some of them are being loaned out elsewhere, in, including Chicago. Uh, Jordan Bennington, he's with the uh, the Boston. No, with uh, Pro- Providence? With Providence. Okay. He's with Boston's uh, AHL affiliate. So um, it, it's a different year for the Blues in terms of that, but they're doing whatever they can, Sean, to mm-hmm. make it work and, and just get through the year. And then next year they'll be solely at San Antonio. Solely in San yep. Antonio with uh, with full say over yeah. hockey operations. So they'll have to be able to hire their own coach, yep. all those things, which even, I think even in Chicago, they did, when they were at the Wolves, they didn't really have that opportunity. I believe the Wolves hired their own coach, I, be, if, I believe. I mean, I'm not they did in the first few you, years, but then uh, you know to, they got into a situation where the Blues said, hey, look, we'll stay if we get to hire okay. the coach. So the last year they did, which was Craig Berube, yeah, and then he became a, an assistant here on the Blue staff. Gotcha. To wrap things up, you mentioned you touched on Vegas. So one thing I've been wondering, we head to the end of 2017. Could be pick your brain. What's been your favorite story yeah. as both first Blues related, then NHL wide? Just if you think of 2017, what or give me two two favorite stories for the year. Could be something you've read, something you wrote. Something could just what do you what do you what do you, what are your one first we'll do say the blues first and then kind of league wide as you as to wrap this up. Yeah, no, I think uh the success that, that Mike Yo has had coming into St. Louis. I mean, we could talk about a couple players, but I, I think that, uh, you know, I jokingly told myself that whenever Ken Hitchcock retired, I was going to retire because he's <laughs> he's such a treat. Like, uh, Ken Hitchcock has told us that, you know, it's his job to entertain, Sean, and you've been in, uh, involved in these scrums where he walks into the, the press room and not only does he – you know, give you the X's and O's and who's in and who's out, but he entertains. And so, you know, it was it was tough knowing that uh, we weren't going to have that every day in St. Louis. But Mike Yo's come in and done a terrific job and taking the Blues to the second round last year. I think a few people in St. Louis expected that. So it's good. And then, you know, to come here and, and see Ken Hitchcock smiling, I saw he and uh, Vladimir Tarasenko exchanging you know, pleasantries today. You know, that's a good thing. He was uh, really good for St. Louis. So the whole coaching change is probably the biggest thing from a St. Louis mm-hmm. perspective as far as 2017 goes. And and then yeah, I'll uh, if you don't mind, I'll steal your your your, <laughs> your topic there. Yeah. Vegas. I went out to Vegas for the Blues' first game out there, and it's uh it, it's quite a setup. I mean, the arena's terrific. Uh, the entertainment. I mean, how can you beat Vegas as far as entertainment yeah. goes? And and who knew that they were going to have this kind of team? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's just amazing. Uh, David Perron is the Blues player that was selected by Vegas, and so we had a chance to talk to him. And he said he loves it. The players love it. They love uh, Coach Gallant, uh, and, and uh, they're working hard for him. And it, it shows. Uh, the NHL did everything they could to establish an expansion team that could be competitive. And I don't think in their wildest dreams they could have drawn it up this way. 
Yeah. Well, hey, thank you so much no, for thank taking you. the time. Everyone who's listening, have a happy new year. And, uh, thank you for listening. Thanks a lot.